Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsparts.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> bought this week right so i'm uh and I'm, I'm i'm aware that the conference in barcelona is coming up and barcelona is hot and we could be beside a pool and i don't want to be the fattest nutritionist there excuse me i don't mean to fat shame myself but i have got a lot of baby baby i have a baby gut on me and i don't want to be because i know the three of you are lean as a whip okay i'm telling everybody now that's what i'm thinking about myself and don't care what anybody else thinks about themselves uh so i am back in the gym and so i wanted to get you know what our nice little snack is smoked almonds okay but the ones you get in the local health shop are actually the synthetic smoky flavor. And uh, I just heard one person saying something a little bit negative about that smoky flavor. And I thought, oh, that's a pity because I love them. And also organic almonds would be nice as well for a change. So I get to Googling and I find this tiny little farm in California with the worst website. I don't want to name them because I don't want to shame them. But it was so bad that I thought this is the guys I want. And like I emailed them and the granddaddies emails me back. And it's, it's signed like granddad of the owner and all this. And he's just fussing over me and he goes, look, I'm sorry, sir, the smallest I can send you is three pounds of almonds. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, three pounds of almonds, one, one kilo, what's that, one and a half kilos? So, okay, send them over. So I just picked them up and they're very tasty. I can't say they're as good as the synthetic ones because the synthetic ones are very addictive. <laughs> <laughs> These are olive oil and actually, actually smoked like they were smoked in a fire. They were smoked in a fire with the hickory and stuff. Anyway, I'm eating a furious amount of almonds. I can't say I feel any difference, but after eating a treat of almonds, you don't actually want to eat much after that. Whereas if I was snacking on anything else, you know, at nighttime, I can eat anything at night. I work late into the night. When I come down, I, you know, want to eat. So, uh, but almonds switch it off. So I like that about a proteiny snack. There is something to it. You get the right food into you at the right time and then you don't need to keep on eating. Um, and the, the question is, do I want, am I hungry enough for a smoked almond? And now I'm looking at them going, no. <laughs> so that's it. It switches off the, the trick. That is like just eat sweets, eat sweets all the time. Well, actually, I'm not hungry enough for an almond. I'm not hungry enough for a sweet. Anyway, day, day 10 as it works. Do you know, the thing, thing about almonds is that uh, on paper, um, you know, a, a certain 50 grams or something of, of almonds, you will get about 160. No, on paper, there's 160 calories in, in, a, in a small quantity of almonds, right? Okay, yeah. But if you actually eat it and you, and you analyze the energy that you are you actually liberate, you will only get about 120 Ooh. calories from it. Yeah, because of the amount of energy you use. Digest the blooming thing. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting. Um, Tim Spector uh, in Spoonfed talks about this, that there is an actual differential. And for the last few you know, decades, we've been thinking that walnuts give us X amount of calories, but actually it's 20% less nice. when you actually examine uh, walnuts. I, guys, I have to share this with you. This is really exciting. There's a little whippet up the road here and he got pancreatitis, right? He's very sexy. He's, he's blue, lovely, called Amos. And he, he had pancreatitis and we fixed that. We, he's raw fed and everything else. But what has happened is that the owners have noticed he's had two flares of pancreatitis and they coincide with one single person visiting this person in the last six months has visited twice 
And both times, after, after the guy has visited, the dog has had a little blip of pancreatitis, you know, bowing and you know, being off, a bit off food, a little bit of vomiting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How amazing is that? Have you ever heard of that? That, that, so that's his stress. So because the guy likes the other dog in the house, but doesn't like Amos. No, he's not kicking him or doing anything. But it's just, it's just maybe there's a jealousy thing with the other dog, or maybe there's a, oh, you don't like me, I don't like you, some anger issues or something I, like I, that. Is that fascinating? I have to tell you, I have to come in with this story, because I'm sorry, Brent, I've just got to come in with this, okay? There's this really famous forensic anthropologist when we were in college. She was really, really famous, right? And she was uh, the lady that went down to Rwanda and she'd come in and, and down there, it's like if you can't find any part of the body to bury them, they're in limbo for the rest of their lives. So a really famous story back in the day. And she's an absolute hero, total hero. Okay, So when she finds his little body bags, separates twins and everything, like just crazy stuff. Anyway, and uh, so um, this lady tells us, her, her introductory story was about uh, what these special x-rays they can tell of bones and she showed us an x-ray of a femur and it looked like there was two uh, fractures in the femur to a non-medical person like myself two hairline fractures and she goes what's that and we all say well it's a femur and uh, it looks like a, a fracture hairline fracture that sounds right and uh, she goes it is a femur but they're not fractures at all she goes uh, that's a new type of um, um, analysis we can do and it shows the growth of bones something like a growth of trees and in those two times we can see growth had stopped and I can tell you for how long, two weeks. So growth had stopped in this 12-year-old's bone twice in her life at these times. And this, the reason that these bones came to her was because this kid had sadly committed suicide. And the family wanted to know what, what was the reason. And this was one of the first times that this lady was involved, got into it, had a look at the bones, and ended up to cut a very long, very interesting story, uh, very short, was that the uncle was coming over from Texas. And the two times he came over, he was abusing her. And during that time, all her energy was, was, was diverted to keeping her, you know, on the straight and narrow mentally. So all growth stopped. When you're chronically stressed, all growth stops. And, uh, I just, and you can see it in bones. So they have this way of scanning bones. So stress, for whatever reason, and she goes, and I, this is obviously the worst possible story you could imagine. She goes, but she goes, anything can do it. She goes, uh, uh, trauma from an incident that you don't get over can stagnate your growth. Um, uh, bullying can do it and all sorts of stuff so like there's all different levels of stress and you get stressed by something different to me how interesting is that and she shows you exactly when it happens so I don't I, it's not the exact same as the story but I do believe stress can play awful can do an awful job on you I'm surprised it comes out as pancreatitis though I think you know that stress of IBD versus IBS versus oh, that was question. Yes. A, trill, a trilogy going into the pancreatitis and actually why pancreatitis I see in some cases occur in those stress situations, even the CPLI going up, but it's almost a consequence of a reflex of those other um, inflammatory cases going on. So not just the pancreas, but you'll actually get the small bowel and sometimes even the liver, um, you know, so the, the bile ducts and stuff becoming inflamed. Uh, as oh. a result of all of that inflammatory process. And so people will quite often see those cases as purely pancreatitis because they'll end up with vomiting and diarrhea and you know abdominal pain particularly and the praying and all of that side of things. But actually, it's not a primary pancreatitis in all of those cases. I think sometimes it's secondary. And you know, especially if you've got a stress indicator, what would make more sense than having 
an IBS type re response, which then overflows into having these pancreatitis well, and yeah. cholangiohepatitis mm -hmm. cases rather than it just purely being pancreatitis. Wow. This is like you, you just struck on the, fir the first question. I will come back to uh, um, But the IBS, IBD, a lady got onto me uh, during the week. We're talking about our IBD dog in, in, a, in a bad state. And this has been going on. And it began in January. This, girl, this lady was a breeder, raw fed years and years and years, never touched kibble. And she's like, you know, you couldn't tell her anything about raw feeding. Lovely lady. But we're talking about IBD and how you might fix this, this terrible gut condition. I, and she goes, it kicked off in January. He's 14 years old, kicked off in January. And I'm constantly saying, why did it start in January? Why did it start in January? Can you remember? Did you change your supplier? Did something stressful happen? No, no, no. And near the end, she said, oh, actually, his mum died in January. And the mum was 17 and she died and he was 14. And they were the only two dogs that slept in the kitchen. They slept in the same bed for 14 years of his life. And I said, well, this, this is what straight away I thought. Is this IBD or is this starting off as a stress-like thing? So can somebody tell me straight out of the traps here with the first question, IBS and IBD, what is the difference between those two things? Do you want a really simple answer? Yeah. Yeah. In in humans, because that's where it's really been in really been studied, in IBD, uh, irritable bowel disease, there will be actual anatomical change. There will be pathology that you can see. Okay. Whereas with IBS, um, it, which is um, irritable bowel syndrome you cannot find any change in the gut, okay? Ah. And they think that there's a very strong psychological element to it. So IBD is where you've got inflammation, you've got uh, lymphocytes uh, uh, infiltrating, eosinophils, blah, 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 lots, lots of inflammatory changes. But with IBS, your gut looks as good as everybody else's, but you have symptoms of gut dysfunction. Mm. So there's a lot of this going on. Um, Brendan, any other little bits and pieces to add to that? Yeah, I try to simplify this as my explanation generally is IBS is psychological, usually in its causation. Um, and if it goes on long enough, you'll then get some pathological change because there's just yeah. enough inflammatory yeah, change exactly. going on. Um, but IBD, I always think as it's an initial disease process and there's it's less psychological, so you don't tend to see the psychological input into their flare-ups. It tends to be that there is another inflammatory process, possibly down to allergy or sensitivity or um, you know intolerance, something like that that's going on to cause that inflammatory process. And I, I, I absolutely agree with Nick um, about the you know those other um, initial changes, but I would think that you do see in the later stages some similarities coming through, but I, I simplify it to people by saying one is generally based about psychological, and that's IBS, okay, being the primary cause, and the other is there's a primary yeah. disease process going on that leads to that inflammation. You can, you, you, can, you can understand the stress bit of it, the IBS bit, I always think S for stress, is because if you're walking down the street and somebody jumps out at you, you know, Brady, and you go, Jesus, you hold your stomach, you know, you wish, you wish you got into cranny pose, you know, but you don't, you just go, oh, and you hold your guts because that's cortisol, adrenaline, squishing the gut. That's what you, that's just the shock face, but like very few people spring ready for this, but it pumps, it constricts your, the adrenaline constricts your gut, no time for digestion, fatty time for like, you know, fighting or running away, your face flushes as well. And so that's the idea of it. So that's what, 
a shock and you can understand that bit of it but chronic stress does the same small amounts of cortisol and adrenaline squishing the gut upsetting the digestive process and the gut flora doesn't like that so you end up getting this bit of a dysbiosis growing inflammation in the gut a pathogenic bacteria shitting all over the environment and would that does ibs turn into ibd is would that not be the way eventually it does such destruction in there that you start getting a a wrecked gut and if they looked at a biopsy they'd say ibd would and then if you get the ibd diagnosis maybe perhaps the vet would miss the fact that this dog is chronically stressed about something um every day he gets his walk he needs to walk past the rock water behind the gate shouldn't have said rock water whatever dog you know um Guys, we've got to remember that if you've got IBS, okay, so this is the psychological version, you are going to have changes in your microbiome, which can then lead to pathological changes, physical changes. So I think that that's really valid, Brendan, that, you, that, that if you've got one for long mm. enough. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this whole um, issue around your parasympathetics and sympathetic drive and actually how that polyvagal theory starts to come in about how you can actually develop disease um, just because of your nerve input within to your, your gut process. So it doesn't even need to go down to that level of microbiome, although that will have uh, changes. I think you'll see mm-hmm. some physical disease if you chronically change the relative portions of parasympathetic and sympathetic drive within those tissues. That's interesting. Um, uh, cockerel, sorry that there was so much cockerel noise from last week. A lot of cock. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be kind of cute, although he's driving me mad. And so what I'm saying is if anybody wants a cockerel, please get in touch because he's driving me absolutely <laughs> insane from four in the morning. Just let Bluebell until in. Until wakey, wakey, here's Bluebell no, and watch her. They don't touch them. They don't what? touch them. They what? run around with the chicken. Are you serious? Apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. now this is the next thing. So oh, we can we can segue oh. in beautifully here to the cost of chicken. Okay, so <laughs> shortly after last <laughs> time, the, um, uh, how do they cope with feeding so many dogs um, with the cost of living, with all of these prices go up? And I saw this, brought it to the fore this morning because on the BBC, the good old BBC, there was an article on the cost of chicken rising just because of feed costs, because of um, the fuel costs, how quickly they're growing them, uh, et cetera. And you know, everybody's panicking about this at the moment because the cost of food, they were estimating, albeit that it was an organic chicken farm, okay, that the cost of that chicken was going to be as expensive as beef, so organic Ooh. beef, okay, Ooh. by the end of the year. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's going to make a huge difference to quite a lot of yeah. beef companies for the dog food industry. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah. and we all need to start thinking about how does this work? And we've dealt a little bit with this, with understanding that calories in. We talked about almonds at the beginning. I love to bring things around in a circle, um, you know, about how mm. we can reduce their appetite, but actually still satiate them. And actually how it's a bit of a falsehood to think that you can feed cheaply because actually what you end up doing is just feeding more and causing more disease issues. So, Nick, what's your go to when people start asking you about how do I keep the cost of feeding my dog raw down? This is a great question. I think it's a really, really important question. Can you remember when we did a talk, the three of us in in uh, uh, Bradford? You remember that? Yeah, first time we, we all spoke together. Yeah. 
There was one. That was amazing. One of the women in the in the in the audience, and she said she had got. She was feeding a I don't know, quite a big dog, twenty five, thirty kilo dog, and she'd got it down to about thirty seven p a day. Do you remember that? I remember something like that actually. Yeah, yeah. So, but but that's just that's just a, just as a as a, an also ran thing. But here would be my thought: um, buy and get a cheap freezer, buy in bulk is would always be a good idea. Get to know your local uh, your local abattoir. You might be able to get things just you know um, legally, but out the back door, um, pancreas and what have you, and feed more. Um, Organ meat, yeah, more spleen, more pancreas, more goodness knows, lung. Uh, all these things are still very cheap, and I, that would be that would be my thought would be to go more towards the organ side of things because they're still cheap. Also, if you go to to uh, co-op at any time, you will always find meat in their um, at the end of their sell by date. Okay, so you can get meat at, at some knockdown prices. So um, your thoughts, Brady, what do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, two, two things. I think you're right about that. I think sticking to the spurious bits, um, I, I don't mind a bit of best before and not bad after meat. Uh, I think that any meat that goes in the bin is a sin and uh, it goes yellow label after two days and it's off the shelf in four. So like if you can get it, it's only two days old. I mean, come on, that's pretty fresh meat. It's good enough uh, if I add, you know, four Labradors and I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? So um, the bigger yeah. the bigger the problem, the more I would gravitate towards cheaper meat. Look, you know, I think a couple of raw producers, and I know uh, this for a fact, are selling very cheap beef, and it's like a pound a kilo. And people say, "Wow, look at this beef! Isn't it amazing? It's a pound a kilo." Now it is ground up lung and trachea, and um, that is one type of beef. It's a, it's from a cow, but uh, you know, lung and trachea can be a part of the diet, and you might up it a bit in times of crisis. Like, why not? Okay, so you know, you might go from whatever I'm throwing out figures here, five to ten to fifteen percent. Okay, you might, but to suggest that beef would be the uh, but lung and trachea to be the large portion, as some companies are pretending. This is beef. It's not. It's just they're allowed to say beef. They're allowed to call chicken combs chicken and sell it to you as chicken and put it in dry food and call it chicken and raw dog food is chicken as long as it came from that animal. So. As you stray into those bits, I think you might you start losing the muscle meat bit of it. Uh, muscle meat's expensive; it's sold to humans, and we buy all the rest. And so I wonder about the evolutionary need for muscle meat and how much muscle meat they need. But I bet you they can get away with less than our dogs are eating a luxurious diet at the moment. There's no doubt, and this crisis is highlighting uh, how ridiculously cheap our meat chain is because we've been growing chickens on corn and cattle now on wheat and corn, stall-fed in horrific circumstances, and now it's coming to light. That, uh, that is actually not the safest way. In Ireland and Britain, we've got less of an issue because we've got grass-fed cows and uh, most of their feeding is done on that. But So anyway, to, to Brent's point, yes, the prices are going to go up. Um, I think you'll still be able to get okay price meat. I think fish will still be okay, hopefully venison. We've got so much deer walking around Ireland and Britain and you just, just besides the Scots, there's nobody really making a business out of it. Um, and then the other thing was that but uh, if I had two or three German shepherds and I was being forced to jump to dry food, before I make that leap, I would say, well, if before I feed 50, 60 percent rapidly digested, terrible carbohydrates in the form of wheat and corn, why wouldn't you add in a bit of porridge? 10, 20 percent of the diet. Now, if you have tried all your avenues and you've got your freezer and you're buying 10 kg of chicken gizzards 
and you're buying as many hearts as you can and, and the cheaper, all that meat is going to go up because everyone's doing the same thing you are. If you had to put in 10 or 20% carbs, I would say, look, from an evolutionary standpoint, we know dogs have taken tiny steps towards carbohydrate digestion, tiny, tiny steps, but they have taken them nonetheless and they have been on the menu to some part. And if they were on the menu a little bit for your dog, it is not the end of the world. But as you move towards that end of the ladder, are you actually saving money but feeding disease? That is the way up because I don't believe there's any problem with 10% carbs. But then when you start thinking is 10% carbs okay, it might be 20, 30% carbs, which is actually a hell of a lot of carbs. Um, but it's better than 60% carbs from dry food. Connor, what about just using green veg that you can grow in your allotment? You can, you can I don't know, buy cheaply when it's, you know, uh, out of date in the supermarket. What about that? What about that? Rather than going, why, rather than going carbs? Because I'm... Because I'm freaked out about I'm freaked out about too much fiber. I think too much fiber, even if you break it down as much as you can by cooking it, magic putting it in the food processor is not enough. You've still got a quadrillion cells of you know completely intact there. But if you cook it and, and break down that fiber, even if you do that, you are adding a lot of fiber into the intestines. It will throw out the gut flora, I believe. It'll change the passage of digester. Uh, I think it'll affect digestion. And I think I would I personally would rather go an extra 10. Okay, I mean, I'm gonna up my veg. I mean I bloody will. But I'll also be up in my carbs as well. If I'm smashed broke before, I would do anything before I feed dry food, guys. The, the people, that people are highlighting tripe. Yeah, guys, we have, a, we have a huge amount of cattle here in Ireland and Britain where we're... Uh, so, yes, something like tripe would be a wonderful source of protein. Tripe would be great, even if it's washed tripe. But if it's safe for humans to eat, believe me, it's safe for, safe for your dog. And that's what I think about yellow pack meat. Actually, guys, we didn't say at the start, we are on patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics. And most of the questions, although we have got to hardly any of them, uh, are put to us through Patreon. So people were asking me on my page there for the last few days, what, where do you ask questions? You ask them on Patreon and we'll get to them there. Uh, but on patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics, uh, if you have the price of a cup of coffee or a pint, we deeply appreciate it. Good, good, good. Um, uh, Sally, let's have a look. Sally Cordicas. Um, please keep the book recommendations for human medicine. They have helped my family with. Uh, one reversing pre-diabetes. Boys, yeah. we're treating. We're yeah. not treating. We we are we are responsible for this. My top recommendation would be spoon fed by Tim Spector. What would be your top human medicine book? Be ready. Uh, that deep nutrition rocked my world, but I think it's hard going if you are ah. if you're a nerd for this stuff and you're happy to uh, delay your walk by hours. I mean every. F- five seconds you have to stop this book by Catherine shanahan uh deep nutrition is unreal it really shook me and had i read it before i released my book i would have been very very concerned uh so i think the uh, an, another book or a slightly more digestible book i think would be nick's one of nick's another one next phase is the omnivore's dilemma i think that was just a lovely simple uh introduction to how absolutely insane the meat the, the food chain is where we are today so i thought that was very effective for me i listened to that um if you're if you're sticking to food and health and that kind of stuff that's a nice little introduction to oh all is not well in the old food chain so um yeah if you wanted to go to the health side of things deep nutrition for me um got me back eating meat after 10 years so that's how effective that was it's amazing yeah and and brent very finally i'm gonna have to run fairly soon guys so brent just your thoughts your favorite readable book Probably go along, you know, there's, there's these, the longevity paradox. I think um, 
sort of follows Jason Fung's stuff as well uh, a lot. Mm. So, you know, I think there's those would be a couple because I agree entirely with the ones that you've talked about already. So I'm looking at two others that I could maybe just add in to those. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. so many I've got that I would, I would love to go into. Um, I love some of the stuff about microbiome and, and gut health and leaky gut that's going on as well out there. Um, so, yeah. Um, can, can I can I, can I make a note to... Nikki, Nikki Mack is here, okay, uh, of DCM fame and brought us that beautiful survey that got published as well. So Nikki's a legend. And Nikki says, do we need to talk about DCM again? Can you believe that this dilated cardiomyopathy, guys, I'm sorry if you don't know what it is. We don't have time to kind of get into the background of it all, but it was all this nonsense, grain-free causes DCM. Pretty much any, you know, any, any, any dry kibble could, could, could cause it. There was a big recrimination and the FDA got involved in everything. And it was all a big load of bullshit, to be honest with you. A big hullabaloo over 600 cases. Anyway, do you know that there is now a thing online? Because I'm getting the questions and we're seeing it coming out of vets that you're to add grain now to not only dry pet food, but to raw dog food to protect against DCM. Because the vets, because they're so poor. But you see, grain, grain-free pet food causes DCM, even though 1% of pets get DCM and most of them are dry fed, which is 900,000 American dogs every year. And these 600 cases, so grain-free pet food causes it. So adding grain must protect against DCM. So now vets, and I'm being asked this question, how much grain, I was doing a behavioral talk for Judy Morgan, and one of the questions was, how much grain do I add in? To protect against DCM and it's like I, I, I got so confused I saw Nikki commenting on it who's the DCM queen and I said Nikki what is this what is it about and she goes honestly they think because of grain free pause it that adding grain that's how insane it has gotten that's, I thought we you know, dealt with this years ago <laughs> no, grain doesn't have taurine in no it's just yeah it's just it's just pure nonsense look before you go Nick before you go uh, JC asked us on Patreon um, the the uh, she goes, um, supplements for kids. Does, do, t- we talk about supplements for, for dogs all the time. Did any of you guys supplement your kids' diets? Please answer that before you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. My kid will eat fish oil capsules. We use Whoa. the higher nature fish oil capsules. They will eat them like sweeties at breakfast. Whoa. Yeah, And they'll crunch them. Yeah. But, and, and we haven't forced them or beaten them to make them do that. Yeah. Okay. They just, they just love them. Okay. So that's number one. Number two. Uh, during the winter, we give a, a bit of um, a good vitamin D supplement because cool. none of us have got enough Why vitamin not? D during yeah, the winter. Yeah, yeah. That's me. What about you? What about you, Brady? You've got young Nothing. Ones. Nothing. I don't, I don't give any supplements. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I was given a bit of echinacea and I certainly was given a bit of vitamin D uh, at the start. And my plan was to keep going with that. But, uh, you know, uh, I didn't. <laughs> I'm just I'm haphazard. And so uh, they got a bit of echinacea during winter here and there. Uh, and we had a baby vitamin D, which the baby was getting, but she's one and a half now. But now as I look at the, at the lack of veg in Holly's diet, you know, she is just, uh, you know, she's, she's four years old. She's starting to understand that there's all sorts of food out there and she can, she can be a, a very willful, if you can believe it. My child's willful. <laughs> uh, so I know I'm not, but I'm going to take whatever you say, guys, and I'm going uh, to learn from the experience. But uh, yeah, so the fish oil thing, I'm going to take that to heart. One of the fish oils that I really like at the moment is the phytoplankton is now coming online in a big way. And so the vegan veg uh, phytoplankton oil is looking really cool. They've got loads of EPA, which phytoplankton beforehand could not really produce a hell of a lot of. They always had loads of DHA and a tiny bit of EPA. You actually want, you want more of that. Anyway, so this, fit, this vegan fish oil, which doesn't taste fishy, I think 
I'm going to bring it into the house and I'm going to start forcing it down the kids' necks. Uh, so that is a good idea. Look, guys, Nick, and where, 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 where this has already gone on. So, guys, that was great. Patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics. Um, if you can, the price of a cup of tea is fantastic. We really appreciate it each month. If you can, great. If you can't, not to worry. We're going to be here anyway. Next week, we are back with Mark Roberts. You're going to absolutely love this guy. He's a raw food fiend and he is highly learned. Great, great bet. You're going to love him. Good to see you yeah. all again. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, good to have you back, Ben. All right. That was good crack. Fantastic, right. boys. Cheers, lads. Talk to you good. soon. <laughs> <laughs>